0: Just like the road to destruction is taken one step at a time, the way back is taken the same way. After a changed heart, one still has a long way to go until they're a different person, just like the man in today's story, so let's dive in! Hello friends, welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the Gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. Yes, and that includes sound effects. I'm Timothy Gregory bringing you the story of a man who, after running from God, finally turned to face him. We'll see how he took his first steps down a long path on today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Also, you'll want to stick around because later we're going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. Now, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize that you're really going to like if we draw your name but first let's get into it folks the conclusion and part three of the classic true story of william Call wilcox sometimes we find a story that is too full to tell in one program such as that of the life of william Cullen wilcox three programs in one story. But don't worry if you're just tuning in, we'll catch you up on the story. Call Wilcox was born over a century and a half ago, and yet his story is most timely today. For one thing, Call Wilcox didn't jump into a state of bitter despair and hopeless frustration. He found, as many since his time have found, that the road to defeat has traveled one step at a time. But one thing is certain, it is all downhill. The problem of Col Wilcox may not have differed greatly from yours. To every person who seeks freedom from the tangles of sin and a battered life, there is a universal answer, and Call found it. What happened then is what you'll hear right now, as told by his son Mark on
1: this, Unshackled. My father, Cole Wilcox, was born in a small Ohio farm community. He and his young friend, Johnny, got in trouble, were arrested and put in jail. Breaking out, they went first to Cleveland, then on to Chicago. Cole and Johnny saw Chicago from the one-sided viewpoint of Skid Row. That's where they stayed. To keep warm, they went to hear the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody. Moody, in his sermon, reminded Cull that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness and peace of mind. It was the story he had heard in church back home many times before. Cull wanted to go forward and receive Christ, but didn't. Instead, he and Johnny went west to Montana. There they became seasoned sinners before reaching the age of 20. Seemed like every time Cole wanted to do something right, he couldn't go through with it. And in less than a year's time, he and Johnny went chasing after gold, were involved in a gunfight, and run out of town, were almost killed by renegade Indians, and stole horses to ride back to the ranch. Finally, they were caught in a flash flood. The flood caught Cole and Johnny before they could escape to higher ground and swept them right off their feet. Cole was swept downstream and pulled under several times. He heard his partner cry for help. Cull himself was drowning. Then out of the swirling waters came a heavy log. It nearly slipped from his grasp, but Cole hung on to it and found himself at least above water catching his breath and being swept further downstream. Finally, he caught a willow branch overhanging the stream and pulled himself out and onto the bank. Thank
2: God, I'm
3: alive. Oh God,
2: thank you. But Johnny's gone, isn't he, God? There's no way he could have survived that drop-off. But all right, God, I admit it. I'm licked. Forgive me. Johnny didn't know any better, but I did. I knew I was fighting you. Forgive me, Lord. Save me, Jesus.
1: They never found Johnny's body, but God saved Cull. Right there, on that mountainside, he cleaned up Cole's life and gave him a new one. And that's really where this particular story begins. God saved Cole, physically and spiritually, and brought him back safely to Scotty's ranch, where he worked to pay off his debt to the rancher. Then Cole struck out for Helena. There he called on an uncle who owned a general store.
2: Can I help you, young fella? Uh, you're the owner, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. So I know you? You look kind of familiar. I'm your nephew, Cole, from back
4: east. Might have knowed. You do favor your dad. <laughs> yes, sir. Sure is good to meet you. Yeah, your dad told me in a letter you was in the territory of Montani. Uh-huh. I've been ranching, punching cows for about a year. Well, Cole, if you need a job, I could use some help. That's what I was hoping for, Uncle Jerry. Good, let's have some grub, then we can talk.
1: Fine, I'm starving. It was a pleasant meeting. And as the days passed, Cull told Uncle Jerry about everything that had happened to him since running away, including the disappearance of his friend, Johnny, in the cloudburst, and his newfound faith.
2: Good food, huh, Cull? Sure was, Uncle Jerry, real good.
4: (laughs) Huh, are you trying to make me older? I can't be having a grown man call me Uncle. You can call me Jerry.
2: All right, Uncle. I mean, Jerry. That was sure a story about that escape from old death itself, you was telling me. I can't help feeling God has some kind of purpose in it all. I mean, maybe my being a...
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, you know, there is nothing like clean living to, uh, uh, to make a man grow up. Now, Carl, let's talk about what you'll be doing while you work for me. And by the way, how long are you staying? Well, I want
2: to stay at least till I earn $300. Ooh, that's a lot of money. What do you need the $300 for? To get me back east, pay off my debts, and get me started in school. School? Yeah, I've been praying about it, and I feel God wants me to... Uh,
4: yeah, well, I'll pay you $50 a month, and I'll give you free room and board. How's that sound?
2: $50? Well, that's great.
4: Now, I figure since you got this uh, religion business that you'd most likely work best selling dry goods. George over there will handle the wet goods. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me to sell liquor. All right, then. It's settled. Now I'll show you where you're going to bunk,
1: and I want you up and clerking first thing in the morning. It all sounded good. Cole was a new Christian and didn't think he'd have any problems with the fact that Uncle Jerry sold whiskey, so long as he didn't have to sell it. But like a lot of things quickly assumed, they'd later be proved wrong.
3: Hey kid, come here, will you? What do you need? Your help. Here, hold this jug. Whiskey? What are you doing? It's your uncle's idea. Makes the booze last longer. Stretches it, you might say. You mean you're watering it down? It's a special recipe. We could make four gallons of whiskey out of one. How in the world? See, first you take ten gallons of whiskey out of one. What? Well, first you take ten gallons of whiskey. Those jugs there. Yeah. Then you add thirty gallons of water. Like I just
2: did. Thirty gallons of water to ten gallons of whiskey? That'll make it so watered down,
3: who would want to drink it? Just watch. First, I add this red pepper. Then, some brown sugar. <laughs> some flavoring. Then, three tablespoons of this. Let's see, one, two, three. What's that you're putting in now? Strychnine, to give it a little kick. Strychnine? But that's poison. (laughs) So's brandy. All booze is poison, Cull. if you take enough of it. But nobody ever takes too much of this stuff. Huh? Nah. They usually pass this out before they get enough to poison themselves. But what if someone died from it? Nobody
4: ever died from my private label stock. Oh, Uncle Jerry. It's safe enough. If it's hot enough and bitter enough, everybody's satisfied enough. Especially me. I can make quite the profit that way.
2: So you see, Uncle Jerry, that's why I have to quit. I can't work here anymore knowing about that whiskey, taking part and selling it and all. But you wasn't selling any. Just as
4: well could have. But you ain't even got a start on your stake to get you back east. I know. But I know I'm doing right. You're right, Carl. It is a rotten way to make a living. And I'm glad you stood up to me and told me.
2: Uncle Jerry, you've seen what Christ did for me. I was probably the world's worst sinner till God got a hold of me and changed me. He can do the same for you, why don't you let him?
4: Now, just a minute, I said I was glad for your clean living. It's cause I can trust you enough with the money. Not because I want you to convert me. But wouldn't you like to- Enough! No more religion talk. It's alright for you, but I
2: don't want to change. Then I'd better get my things together.
4: Do that, but not to head back to the ranch. What? I said before, you're about the only man in this whole territory I can trust. So I want you to do me a job. What do you mean? Bill collecting. You won't have to sell no liquor or compromise your scruples. I don't understand. I said I want you to collect a bill for me. If you get my money, and this guy owes me over $1,000, I'll give you $75 a month and pay your expenses for however long it takes you to collect. And if you get it, I'll give you a bonus of
0: $100. Folks, we'll get back to Cole's story in just a moment, but first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 71st year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org. And then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, unshackled. We take checks. You mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. Now back to the conclusion of the true story of Carl Wilcox, as told by his son, Mark.
1: Call's new assignment as a bill collector took him to the small town on French Gulch to see a man who owed Uncle Jerry over $1,000. Mr. Lemoyne?
2: Oui. Who wants to know? I'm Cole Wilcox. I've come to take possession of your store to pay off what you owe my uncle. Oh, what do you mean, you're going to take possession? Just to help you. You sign this agreement, and as soon as I take out what's coming to my uncle, I'll tear up this paper. But if you don't want to do business with me, you can wait for the sheriff. The
4: sheriff? No, 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 no. no. He will have seizure papers. Uh, Where is your paper I will sign? Thanks. I have no money. I cannot pay your uncle. You see, see for yourself. What's this? That's the tab. The boys,
2: they buy. I keep track. Do they ever pay? Eh, sometimes. But why don't you make them pay up? They kill me. Hey, hey, what do you do? I'm
1: putting up a new sign. No more credit. Old Frenchy looked shocked and scared at first. But when the miners came in looking for credit and didn't get it, they paid up. Soon, Cole had his uncle's money. The assignment had taken him three months. So... Two,
4: 210, 220, and 225.
2: $225? I've never had so much money before.
4: And here's the $100 bonus I promised you. I'm grateful, Uncle Jerry. Uh, Cole, how about Stan? i pay you half again of what you was making before, $75 a month. I'm making enough now, so... No,
2: I'm sorry, Uncle Jerry. But you're making that money in booze. I can't do it. Besides, I think God wants me to go back east, to school.
4: Yeah, how'd you know?
2: He tell you? You might say that. I know that ever since my conversion, I've been restless. I want help to grow more like Christ. A man can only grow so much by reading his Bible and praying. I need to be around other christians i need to study and better myself i still think god has something for me to do maybe so i sure wish i could convince you how much better it is to live this way you know the kind of life i had before
4: uh huh. just like mine that's what you're saying
2: well uh yeah maybe even worse i don't know but god changed me uncle jerry Made me want to stop doing wrong and want to start doing right. You mean you wanted to do wrong before? Sure. Doesn't everyone? Oh, some say they can't help themselves, but they gotta want to change before they can get help.
4: Hmm. I guess you're right. But that ain't for me. It's good for you, but... Well, look, I'm sorry you ain't staying. You've been a real help. Say hi to all the folks back east. Tell them how much I miss them all. All
2: right. I'll be praying for you, Uncle Jerry.
1: I really will. When he got back, Cole was welcomed by the family and old neighbors, the prodigal returning. It wasn't long before he saw just how spiritually weak he was. The experience on that Montana mountainside was just the beginning. Cole really hadn't grown spiritually at all and it was evident when he got to college at Oberlin. There, Cole was looked on as kind of a black sheep, the rough, tough cowboy from the West, still using tobacco and making mock of his professors. Pranks and fun, that's how he spent his time. The serious memories of his conversion were being dulled by being back in civilized territory once again. But one night, he got to recalling the events which brought him to college. The narrow escapes, and then the brush with death on the mountain. He couldn't sleep. A book lay on the dresser. Cole had no idea where it came from, but he read it through, trying to lick his insomnia. It was written by a former professor of the school, Charles Finney, who later became its president. Cole read it, and the following day he called on the man who then occupied the president's chair.
3: Wilcox... You said you had a spiritual problem you wanted to share with me, I believe?
2: Yes, sir. I've been reading this book by Charles Finney, and it's really pointing a finger at me. Oh? It says I should give myself over to the Holy Spirit to let God live life through me. I don't quite understand that.
3: What don't you understand? Where does a person begin? What does Finney say? Getting right with God? Yes. Then? Uh, I don't know. Then to get right with his fellow men. How? How would you suppose? Mm, Paying
2: back all I stole? All I've ever done wrong? I'd have trouble remembering it all, let alone paying it back. But... But what? It's right, isn't it?
3: You knew that when you came in here.
2: (laughs) Yes, I suppose
3: I did. Let me have that book. Here. Read this.
2: You will be called eccentric and probably you will deserve it. I never knew a person who was filled with the spirit who is not called eccentric. And the reason is they are
1: not like other people. Charles Finney, that great saint of God, died before he ever knew he'd helped Cole Wilcox. But his clear, decisive statements about living a Christian life rang clear as a bell. It wasn't long before Call had searched out all whom he had wronged in his sinful past. It wasn't an easy job, and he had to stay out of school a year to earn back the money to do it, sending money to people he had robbed, cheated, and deceived. Finally, to the best of his memory, it was done, and Call had the feeling of walking on air. In the meantime, much happened. He finally finished school, but before doing so, he met a pretty young girl named Idabel Clary. And when Cole accepted a church job in Toledo, he asked her a very serious question
3: Marry you?
2: Uh, Cole, I, I.
1: I. Well, I know
2: it'd be asking a lot to have you marry a minister, but you knew I was training to be a preacher when you met me two years ago. Well, you know I'm not objecting. You just. Sort of surprised me, that's all. Well? Yes, Cole. I'll marry you.
1: They were married in 1881, and Cole planned to continue in the ministry. Then, at a missionary conference, he heard a deeply moving message.
0: So, my friends, that is the picture today. Our brother, martyred by savages in Africa, but not before establishing a frontier for the faith there. Who will pick up his mantle? Who will take his place? Won't someone? Whom shall we send?
1: It was a direct challenge, but the response was the same as if everyone in that room had said the same thing here am i lord send him but later Cole couldn't escape that call it was as real as anything he had ever known before
2: Cole, you've hardly eaten a thing i i can't get over that missionary conference hmm i thought so you've been very thoughtful ever since I think God's calling me to Africa. Hmm. Then why so sad looking? I didn't know how you'd react to it. React? Do you... Um. I mean... Could I go traipsing off to Africa as a missionary? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Darling, I'd go to the ends of the earth with you. You ought to know that. Africa is the ends of the earth. (laughs) But I feel I gotta go. No call. We must go.
1: So that was what Cole and his bride set out to do. Missionary work would be their life. First, to learn the Zulu language, then to spend nearly two score years bringing the people to Christ. Cole did much of lasting significance. He made a first translation of the Bible into the Zulu language. He established an industrial mission to help the Zulus find a sustaining economy, He started a school for Zulu children, and he was a great influence in the voice of South Africa's government, speaking out against its bigoted policies. God blessed his ministry in many ways, and finally, Cole Wilcox was retired and returned to the United States. Here, he lived out his remaining years quietly, and in 1928, at the age of 77, went to be with his Lord.
0: And there you have the story of a man, chained to trouble, drink, and deceit. A fugitive from man, from himself, and from God. But it's also a story of what God can do, a demonstration of the power of God, delivering from sin and guilt into a life of purpose and usefulness. It's always the same when a man's heart, mind, and life are given over to Jesus Christ and become unshackled. If you wish to experience the transforming power of God as Call did, feel free to get in touch with us here at Pacific Garden Mission, 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607, or call 1-888-NEED-HIM. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, the prize for this sweepstakes contest is another beautiful wooden scripture plaque. The verse on this one is Psalm 34:1, which says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is a gorgeous little thing, especially if you're looking for daily inspiration from scripture. You will love this authentic wooden plaque. The plaque has been sawn from a tree branch or log and cut in such a way as to retain as much of the bark around the perimeter as possible. And this one's even got some <laughs> extra character, as it looks like a knot from the tree was sawn off with it. If you'd like a peek at this scripture plaque, you're welcome to visit our podcast website, unshackledpodcast.org, and stop by the audio drama page for a picture. And next time... Why don't you look at the GPS and we'll pick a town and start heading for it.
2: All right. Uh, how about uh, this town called Irwin?
0: That'll do. In the United States, the first Monday in September is observed as Labor Day. The holiday is an occasion for many vacation travels by Americans. Ain't much of a town. Sure isn't. No sign of a gas station. You'll hear the story of what happened when a shortage of fuel caught up with two travelers.
2: Are you doing that on purpose?
0: No. Money roads, an empty tank, and a farmer and his wife WOULD ALL LEAD THEM TO THE ONE WHO IS SOLID GROUND.
3: IF YOU'RE GOING TO PUT YOUR FAITH IN PEOPLE AND INSTITUTIONS, THIS HASN'T BEEN A VERY GOOD YEAR FOR FAITH. BUT HAS IT CROSSED YOUR MIND THAT THERE'S A BETTER PLACE TO PUT YOUR FAITH?
0: DON'T MISS THIS LISTENER FAVORITE CLASSIC, THE STORY WE'RE CALLING SUMMER'S END, ON THE NEXT UNSHACKLED. HEARD IN THIS PART THREE AND THE CONCLUSION OF THE TRUE STORY OF WILLIAM CALL WILCOX WERE BRAD Armacost, BRIAN PLAHARCHIK, GARY BRUCHETTO, Rick Dianovsky and Amanda Marqueski. Original music: Don Badorf. Sound effects: Martin Robinson. Recording engineer: David Pierczynski. Audio engineer: Michael Kahn. Script: Joe Musser and Kylie Hammond. That's it for this week's Unshackled audio drama podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ.